The Athletic. Greenwood. Fernandez. It's Mason Greenwood. Explosive. That's what he can do. The rising star at Old Trafford touches the stars. Hello, listener. Uh, we had already recorded the episode of Talk of Devils, but we had some breaking news shortly after recording, which involved Mason Greenwood signing a brand new contract at Manchester United. To help me explain it, I've got Laurie here to go over the facts and figures and the future of Manchester United. So, Laurie, Mason Greenwood, this is nice, isn't it? Yeah, it's good news for United, um, certainly. Certainly good news for Mason Greenwood. Um, we had reported previously that there were talks in the summer, um, but that there was no particular rush to get it agreed and signed just because of the way the season was going. Personally, he was obviously overcoming a little bit of a difficult patch, but now recently he's been in fantastic form and it seems like a good time to get it all done. He'll get a nice healthy pay rise. Um, it'll reflect his new status in the team because the, the contract he signed previously in October 2019 was at a point where he'd, he'd just broken into the team and they, they obviously want to be cautious over um, the amount they give to players of that age equally whilst to appreciating that he is pretty special talent. So it was a decent contract, that one. We were sort of led to believe it was perhaps £25,000 a week with inbuilt increases. So he got to a level, you know, by the point uh, this season where he was well remunerated for a, for a first-team player, but this new contract takes it on a level to a point where he is very much, you know, seen as a first-team regular, expected to make those kind of contributing factors to a team to, to win games and, and decide matches. So, um, yeah, good news, I think, all round, really, for the club and the player. Yep, he's been trialled through the middle uh, as a centre-forward in some games against Manchester United. He's drifted out left and right for those. But this this could be the start of something special for Mr Greenwood, do you think? Yeah, I think... It, yeah, listen, he obviously had, like I said, that difficult time. Um, you know, everyone uh, experiencing a situation such as lockdown take it, takes it differently. And I think we, we saw that he, he didn't have quite the same impact as he did during his first season where we, when we, we've spoken about the, the finishing ability that he's had, uh, the chances that he was getting and, and the amount of times he was hitting the back of the net was quite freakish, really. This season, it's returned to sort of more expected levels, but other parts of his games have developed. So, you know, he's been playing off that right and, and the crossing that he's been producing, it, it's been good you know off his left foot and you know going down the line onto his right obviously had one at, at West Brom didn't he like that where you sort of half thought would he um you know would, would Cavani get on the end of it so I think he's adapting his all-round game he's adding new qualities to it and Solskjaer spoke about that recently and actually after the Everton game he was very glowing in his appraisal of him so I suspect at that point Solskjaer knew the deal uh was ready to go and w- was very happy to, to big him up to everybody. Well, there you have it. You've wrote a fantastic piece on Mason Greenwood recently. I urge everyone listening to this to check out on The Athletic. Other than that, let's get on with the rest of the show. Hello, listener. I'm Carl Anker, and welcome to another episode of Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up today, we're going to recap United's 1-1 draw with West Bromwich Alvin. We're going to ask some questions about United's sometimes baffling defence and preview this week's Europa League tie against Real Sociedad. Joining me as ever to talk all things United are the most fresh-faced duo to sit at Old Trafford since the days of Yanazai and Paddy McNair. I'm going to introduce my fellow beat reporter for The Athletic. It's Mr. Laurie Whitwell. Laurie, how are you? Carl, I'm good. Yeah, good to be here and good to chat some football, although obviously it would have been nice to uh, do it off the back of a win. Uh, that was a really disappointing game at the Hawthorns, so, but we'll get into that. We will, we will. Strange game. We're also joined 
by the editor of Unite We Stand and a contributing writer to The Athletic. It's Mr. Andy Mitten. Andy, how are you? Hi, Carl. Hi, Laurie. All okay. Echo Laurie's thoughts about the disappointing game and result at West Bromwich, and I'm sure we're going to talk all about it. We will. We will indeed. The listeners also want to know whereabouts in the world are you and where are you going to be this week? I've got a lot of games on this week. I'm at um, Barcelona um, PSG this evening. And then I'm on a very early flight to Sevilla for Sevilla Dortmund. And I've got another interview there as well, um, which will be in the Athletic. And then I'm on a very early flight on Thursday morning to Madrid, then to Pamplona and then to San Sebastian to watch Real Sociedad Manchester United, which has been moved uh, from San Sebastian. So just going to be there. Norman, no mates in this beautiful city, which is in lockdown. So taking in the vibes yeah taking in taking in the, the non-existent vibes of uh, <laughs> the wonderful Basque city with its closed restaurants and bars well we wish you safe travels and stay safe my friend the champions league and the europa league returns this week and there's no better time to sign up for our unrivaled coverage on the athletic until the 25th of february we're offering new subscribers a half price annual subscription that's less than a pound a week for the entire year for some of the best sports coverage you will find in english language and a few other languages too all you have to do is go to the athletic.com slash man united pod to sign up that's the athletic.com slash man united pod to sign up let's get into this west Bromwich Albion one manchester united one West Bromwich Albion scored after 82 seconds uh, to peek behind the uh, the curtain a little bit. At The Athletic, we tend to do our weekly meetings either on a Friday or a Monday. And on Friday, Laurie and I had a little chat about Manchester United's record on crosses and aerial balls. And there was a moment where our editor went, well, yeah, this is really important because West Bromwich Albion are going to put in loads of crosses. United need to be alert to this. Otherwise, they'll concede from a header. 82 seconds in. At the Hawthorns, United conceded from across. Laurie, what went wrong? Yeah, I wish I knew. Familiar failings, wasn't it? And, and you, you've done a good piece this morning, Carl, on uh, sort of the set-piece dynamic of that. I know obviously this was an open-play situation, but the sort of similar traits kind of apply in terms of, you know, defenders being strong enough to compete in the air, you know, specifically Victor Lindelof. It's not the first time that he's been out-muscled. And that was my first reaction watching it live, seeing it there. You just thought he's, he's been done there for strength. I sort of thought, did, could David De Gea have come for it? Maybe that's a bit harsh in hindsight. Saw the replay and, you know, Daniel's got his hand in, in Lindelof's face and I thought that's a foul, actually. You know, um, I know that other people think the opposite going over on Monday Night Football was saying, no, it's never a foul in a million years. I still think that if that's outside the area or, you know, any other circumstance, it's given as a foul. But nevertheless a central defender shouldn't be allowing a striker like that to get on top of him like that, to pin him. And I think he should have, you know, really in those situations, you want a central defender to be strong. Clearly there was too little pressure on the ball for Conor Gallagher to, to whip in the ball in, in the first place and, and get it into the six yard box where it was a one V one situation. That's a, you know, worryingly low deep line. And that's something else that I think United, you know, perhaps with Lindelof and Maguire as a central defensive duo, are more uh, susceptible to, to to not pushing up, you know. Um, and I think it was just, you know, <laughs> a familiar failure. I mean, they've gone behind so many times in away matches and come back to win. You know, it's not often playing thrilling football necessarily, but, you know, certainly some stirring comeback wins. But it never really felt like that. I mean, st- end of the first half, I felt like there was pressure being applied in a good way. You know, the chances were not 
obvious, but the, the kind of opportunities for chances were, were becoming more prevalent. And clearly, you know, Luke Shaw cross and, and Bruno Fernandes, superb execution, shin or no shin. You know, it was a, a fabulous finish, a great technique and on the volley, you know, sort of behind him. It was brilliant to watch sort of live. And yeah, you felt that that would actually go on and be the springboard for a you know persistent run. But actually, it never really materialised. You had the the Greenwood chance from a corner, um, and then Maguire follow up, which obviously could have gone in. But that was basically it, really, for a clear shooting opportunity. I'm a bit disappointed that Greenwood's cross, you know, late on found nobody in the six yard box. Cavani sort of stepped back rather than go towards the line, which was a bit curious for given someone you know we've obviously lauded his movement in the box and it. It seemed just to be a different frequency to what Greenwood was going to produce. But I'm not one necessarily for, for you know, thinking that stats hold the key to everything. But, you know, 0.47 expected goals for the game was the second lowest total they've recorded all season behind the uh, home game against Arsenal, which was obviously a tedious affair. And <laughs> uh, and against West Brom at the Hawthorns, you know, this is a team that's been hit for five by Crystal Palace, for five by Leeds. Obviously, Man City hitting for five as well, you know, fair enough. But... Um, Arsenal four goals and you know it's, it's not a place necessarily that teams have struggled with and United United did struggle though Since Sam Allardyce it feels weird to call him Sam Allardyce and not Big Sam as if I've sort of broken some sort of law but since Sam Allardyce has been in charge of West Bromwich Albion in December West Bromwich Albion have given up 10 shots on their own goal up until against Manchester United where Manchester United only mustered nine Andy I want to get your thoughts here was this a game undone by Limited defence, problems in attack, or all of the above? United had dominated the possession. There's a few points there, in addition to what Laurie said. You can't keep starting games as badly as Manchester United started matches. Was it a foul on Lindelof or not? I saw a gloved hand right across his face, and it looked like a foul to me. But it's not the first time we've talked about Victor Lindelof being a weakness in Manchester United's central defence. Did they drop back to protect the goalkeeper who's been making errors? That's something that they only know. I can handle that result in isolation. What frustrates me more is it's now one win in five in the league. The week before, United failed to hold on to a lead against Everton despite playing so well. There was that Sheffield United defeat at Old Trafford. There was the draw against Arsenal and I feel that United have gone a little bit flat, went through against West Ham in the FA Cup last week, but that was a really poor game. I don't know why United have gone flat. I don't know whether it's the players being tired or not. I think a lot of players are out of form and there's going to be times like that during the season when it just happens. It happens to everyone. It even happened to Manchester City earlier on this season. And if you'd said to me at the start of this season, United second mid-February, still in the FA Cup, I absolutely would have settled for that. But I'm worried now with the loss of form that the teams behind are picking up points. They've dropped a lot of points as well. So it's almost fortuitous that United are still in in second. The title race is no longer a race because City are just winning and winning and winning. I think the only hope there would be somehow United get a shock result at at the Etihad or City blow up again in the Champions League like they have done before and, and the heads wobble a little bit, but look, City came well, Trafford and with a better team. They they are the better team at the moment. I still think Golly's done a good job, but you're allowed to have doubts. You're allowed to have reservations at time. You're allowed to question decisions. That's what football fans and journalists uh, can do. And West Brom was hugely disappointing. I don't think United looked sharp up front. 
I think it's one goal in eight now for, for Marcus Rashford. He's not playing in his preferred position there. He was lively. Greenwood was lively when he came on. I don't know what's going on with Anthony Martial. He's not having a good season. I'm not just going to hammer him and say he should be sold because every player has moments of, of form where they're coming in and out. What, what's your take on, on Martial, Carl? I used to be a card-carrying member of Martial FC. I, I was in the player of the month votes and I'm voting for Martial very much so. And I think what's happened is Martial used to always be uh, a good to great finisher. And even when things were going badly and he had weaknesses in other parts of his game, he could at least rely on the fact that he knew how to put the ball in the back of the net. And I think for some reason this season, his finishing ability is gone. And when Martial can't finish, all of his other weaknesses have come to the fore. So you're seeing weaknesses in terms of his positioning, you're seeing weaknesses in terms of his dribbling now. His confidence is gone. And I thought I thought there was definitely a point where Martial on the left, Cavani up front, and Rashford on the right could really help because I think Rashford's a better defender than Mason Greenwood on the right-hand side, and that could offer some real variance. But this Martial in this form, I think he's a bench option at best. And I think also this is a credit and a really good look as to how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer deals with players that are in that form. So there's no real discussion of Martial being... He's not lambasting Martial in press conferences. He's not ever picking out Martial as a single person that's unperforming. If someone is asked, asked Ollie about Martial, he will say none of us perform really, really well. But what he's done is basically give Martial enough time to get into form or depending on how you say enough rope. And now if Martial's on the bench, I don't think anyone will ever have any questions as to why. What do you think about this situation, Laura? Yeah, just picking up actually on what you said there in terms of Oli defending him, he, he did get a question about Marshall on, in the press conference afterwards and, and kind of was a bit prickly with it, a bit sort of de- defensive, basically saying that he's, 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 he's you know, not wanting to go into the details. He, clearly he knows really what's going on and privately he'll say that to him, but I think publicly he wants to present a unified um, sort of uh, outpouring for his, for his uh, forward but um, it was just one thing that I thought when you were saying about the the, the, the productivity on the left hand side and, and the driving runs is that the piece that I did for, for the game is, is Harry Maguire's touch map for example <laughs> and he had 110 touches and it looks like he's a left back the way he's you know getting into that final third and, and there was a couple of times where he drove with it in that left channel and actually one 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 time did provide a chance for Marshall ultimately and, and he was his pass to show that, that led to the goal on that as well but it almost felt like Maguire was trying to seize the initiative because he saw ahead of him that it wasn't really working for Martial and that to me fine great you want sort of centre-backs you know we've praised Sheffield United centre-backs last season for being these kind of wacky underlapping overlapping centre-backs and getting into funky positions but I think when it's against West Brom you really want your best players your most creative forward players to have the most touches on the ball and to be creating those chances not your centre-back and but I think that's a perhaps a sign of where Marshall's at I think it's also a sign of Fred and how Fred is playing I think one of the more common things you will see when you watch Manchester United is if Fred gets onto the ball and then tries to make a pass and the pass doesn't work what tends to happen in the next possession or the possession afterwards is Maguire will get on the ball and say okay Fred you've had your turn in possession I'm going to do it myself and then drive into the box um, which speaks to the very unusual way this Manchester United team works. You've got a back four that is has some weaknesses in some areas. Victor Lindelof isn't particularly strong in the air or can be bullied off the tackle. You've got a midfield partnership in Fred and Scott McTominay that sometimes aren't the best passes. You've got an attack that is mostly turbocharged by Bruno Fernandes. And you've got somehow a Manchester United team that's still second in the league that 
according to the stats people, have around about a 77% chance of being in the Champions League places at the end of the season. They are considered one of the favourites for the Europa League, according to the bookmakers. It's a very weird time to make sense. No one quite knows how good this Manchester United side are, but there's a belief that this Manchester United side can get good very quickly. Andy, how do you make sense of that? You mentioned Fred there. I asked Ollie about Fred on Friday before the West Brom game because he was about to make his 100th performance. And that's not something I could have seen in his first season at the club. And I was speaking to him throughout and I knew he was having a, a really, really bad time. And Ollie did, and Laurie touched on it then, he, he was very positive about Fred and, and with pretty good reason. I mean, he gives the ball away too much. Is he the best midfielder in that position in the world? Probably not. Could United get an improvement? Probably, but I think he's been a decent, a decent enough player. Ollie said, "You're in your car." I'm still kicking <laughs> myself to this day that I didn't reply. I'm at the wheel, <laughs> and he should have then replied, "Which one asked me?" And I could have said, "We had Sanchez, Paul Pogba, and now I've got a question on Fred." <laughs> but anyway, that's just me being really immature about things. Um, I think you can look around. The, the, the team and see improvement in almost every areas. And you have times when um, players are in form and the criticism melts away. Uh, McTominay gets called the defensive midfielder. I think he scored 10 goals so far this season. I'll give you a picking a player of the season now. Um, Luke Shaw will probably be it. I think there's still that over-reliance on Bruno. He scored the wonder goal at the Hawthorns, but I thought he was pretty poor in, in the first half. So I think there's room for improvement almost everywhere. And, Ollie's idea of sticking up for his players publicly. I think on balance, that's the right thing to do. He knows completely that Martial is not playing well. And I spoke to him about Fred off the record a year ago. And he felt that Fred was coming good and there were reasons for that. And I know that previously when he wasn't playing well, he was doing really well in matches, but he'd make a mistake early on in the game and his confidence would drop. So confidence is a huge part for these players. And if you look at how Oli treated Paul Pogba, for example, it actually benefited them that he didn't criticise him when everybody else was hammering him. Because then the manager keeps the faith of the players and the players want to repay that loyalty. So if he would have come out and hammered David De Gea after the Everton game, that would have done more damage than good. Because once De Gea's confidence goes, there's a long way back for him. And he's been in this situation before. And I'm not just saying this uh, as, as a wild opinion and basing it on, on, on what I know. So he's got to try and get the best out of his players and to get that team winning. And when you win one in five in the league, that's when concerns start to be aired. And, and with good reason as well, because it's all right saying we're building towards the future. As we stand, United have still got the second highest wage bill in world football. They've got a higher wage bill than Manchester City, but City are streaks ahead of United. And, this season, if United finished second and won the FA Cup or the Europa League, you can still say this season has, has been a success. But that West Brom result was so disappointing. It's all right, dominating. And there are other mitigating factors. West Brom actually had some really good chances. Sam Johnson did a really good save. Nice one, Sam. I hope you enjoy <laughs> that. Now you're back living in Manchester. I'm going to come around your house and throw eggs at it. From Maguire in the last minute. But United have got to be beating West Brom away. That West Brom team... I think Maguire said after the game, tough place to come. I'm sorry. Look at the teams who've gone there and hammered West Brom. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Now, it's the Thursday-Sunday routine for Manchester United now. Europa League games and then Sunday games. Uh, starting off against Real Sociedad on Thursday. Sociedad in an interesting little funk in La Liga right now. Uh, when the draw was made, Real Sociedad were tied top of the La Liga table. And my casual look at the La Liga table now reveals them to be... Dun, 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 fifth. Uh, they are still powered by David Silva in midfield, uh, but they have fallen just a little bit away from the uh, top three of Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid and Barcelona. Uh, United will be playing the first game in Turin, much to the chagrin of Andy Mitten. Um, quick question, Andy. You just mentioned a little bit about David Hayer and his confidence. Would you start Dean Henderson in this game? Yeah, I would. I think if Dean Henderson, who's done well in the cup games this year, I think if he's going to become Manchester United's number one, he's got to get a run of games. He's got to be given a fair chance. It's really complicated because De Gea signed a huge contract. He's by far the best remunerated goalkeeper in world football. No one's going to take him, even at half his wages. And I'm not saying I'm writing him off because I can understand why Ole Gunnar is, is sticking with him. But yeah, I'd, I'd start Henderson against Real Sociedad, who are in a little bit of a, a funk. I like that term that you use there. They've got a very good youth system. They're a very proud club. It's one of the most beautiful cities in Europe. They've bought well. Um, they've loaned well. Uh, Adnan Janazai spoke to him yesterday. He's not the best player, but he, uh, he, he can be a match winner. Uh, David Silva has had some injuries, but... It can be hugely influential for them. But the Corridor team is very young. They've come through the youth system. And as you said, when the draw was made, they were top of the league. They've not got the strength in depth of, as of far uh, bigger clubs in terms of the, the wage bills or the, the squad strength. Barca have won seven on the bounce now in the league. Atletico are having the best season for years. Real Madrid have started winning. So for Real Sociedad to get into the Europa League is an achievement. And they've done that. They're in a stadium which has been completely redeveloped. And this is a team who, historically, you know, were twice champions of Spain in the 1980s. They've got the great rivalry with Athletic Club from Bilbao. There are five clubs in the Basque cultural area. This is a population about the size of Greater Manchester. This is a real footballing hotbed. Manchester United are just the slight favourites to win the Europa League. Uh, but one of the Top five favourites after that are Real Sociedad. This is not going to be an easy tie. Uh, Sociedad have been considered one of the better teams in the Europa League, especially outside of the English conglomerate of United, Arsenal, Leicester City and Spurs. Uh, Laurie, I want to get your opinion here. How do you think Oli's going to approach this? Is it going to be a case of Dean Henderson, Alex Talese at left back and then possibly Axel Tunzebi? Or will it be the quote-unquote full-strength side on Thursday? Yeah, I think it's a difficult decision because it's a serious opportunity to win silverware. So to, to sort of rotate the team and put at risk your, your place. And, and he called it a Champions League tie, which I think is quite a shrewd. When I spoke to Rennie Mullenstein for uh, a piece on the uh, West Brom 5, Manchester United 5 game that we, we 
previewed before the game at the Hawthorns, which was obviously Ferguson's last game and, and sort of quite nice memories from it. So it's Rennie Mullinstein for that. And we got talking about Adnan Yanazai and, and Real Sociedad. And he said Solskjaer was quite cute in calling it a Champions League tie just to get in the minds of the players that this is not going to be an easy occasion. So... But that being said, it did appear that a lot of the players that you'd want to play in the game, to, you know, like your match winners, perhaps weren't at you know at their peak fitness levels or or, or some kind of mental fatigue or, or tired. I don't, I don't know what it was at West Brom, but obviously it wasn't clicking. So whether you think that this is an opportunity to rest them and you know store them up, I mean, I suppose the Newcastle game coming after it. Again, you'd think that was is one that United should be able to win, you know, with rotating a few players. So that comes into play, I think. Um, I, to be honest, I don't think he can make too many changes because from his, you know, preferred um, starting eleven. Just because I think you really they need to be winning this game. As Andy says, the run that they're on, you don't want to have that run extended and, and then a sort of a a sort of debilitating feeling of going out of a, a competition, you know, the, the very first hurdle, you know, when it gets serious. So, yeah, I mean, maybe Eric Bailly's obviously been on the bench the last few games. I know he had that incident outside Carrington, a bit of a bang in his car, which I think stopped him from playing a game or two. But I would like to see him back in the fold just because I think he did so well in that little period. Um, you know, I'm thinking of the Aston Villa game in particular where he, he formed a really good partnership with Maguire and I'd just like to see, I feel like this might be a game for him where you could put him in and and see how it goes with Maguire a little bit more. And is that something that, you, you know, you could sustain for the rest of the season? I don't know how many how many other positions you'd think Donny van der Beek would start maybe in a deep midfield position just to see how that goes rather than a number 10 I would be intrigued to see you know him perhaps alongside Scott McTominay with, with Bruno as number 10 um, I would like to see Mason Greenwood start I think he's done really well after a difficult um, start to the season which obviously Solskjaer touched upon and we've reported on in the Athletic but had three games in a row where he played 85 minutes or more uh, and did really well in all three of those whilst you know not scoring he did you know provide chances I think an assist and his crossing certainly has improved and I think he did that against West Brom as well came on was lively got on the ball had a shot created chances and that kind of drive and determination that he's carrying at the moment I think would do really well against a team like Real Sociedad so yeah difficult one but I wouldn't want to see too many changes just because I think it could easily become a banana skin I think of the starting lineup we saw against West Brom and Jarbium the the biggest change You'll probably see on Thursdays, Martial will, will drop out and go to the bench and you'll see Rashford move to the left and Mason Greenwood go to the right-hand side. And if that does happen, uh, look forward to Mason Greenwood waving his hand every time Marcus Rashford gets on the ball as he looks for the crossfield pass. Which is, I thought uh, you were going to say waving his hand after he <laughs> scored into to a, you know, the camera lens of a, like he did against Liverpool. But. I enjoyed that one. Yeah. Uh, it was It's a really interesting system they're doing right now with crossfield switches. So Rashford does try and get to the crossfield ball for Greenwood and when Pogba was in the side uh, both men used to stand wider because Pogba could find them with the passes which has got a bit more complicated now we've gone back to the McFred partnership but we shall see. Real Sociedad like possession that could play into United who can be very effective on the counter whether United are going to surrender possession to Real Sociedad who aren't at home United have played more times in Juventus' stadium than Real Sociedad have, with great effect as well. So that could be quite intriguing. An intriguing one. I think United should go out all out to win the Europa League and the FA Cup. I appreciate not everyone shares that view, but I think 
trophies can really lift the confidence. And when a, a manager uh, leaves in the end, if you can say, I won this or I won that, it's definitely a plus rather than a negative. You mentioned Paul Pogba there, Carl, and I think that's probably something that I've neglected to say from the West Brom game that actually that we really saw his absence. Um, you know, it, it was only the, the midway through the Everton game where he went off, it, but it feels like a while ago now because we've had, you know, a couple of matches in between. We had a little line in the piece that I did after the game, sort of three to four weeks was the original diagnosis. Um, although I think there's going to be an update um, expected this week. So listen, that makes him a little bit of a doubt for the, the uh, I think Chelsea game comes up first, doesn't it? And then the Man City games to their, you know, end of this month, start of March. So, you know, I'm sure United will, will hope to have him back for them because I think we've seen that he just he brings you know, that creativity and, and driving presence from midfield. When, when he's on form, you know, obviously at, at Fulham, he, he created that piece of magic. West Ham, obviously, um, there's been numerous games where he's, he's really shown his personality. And if he can bring that back to the team, I think that would give it a bit of a uh, you know, rocket boost, so to speak. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right then, Andy, what's all this about you and Jamie Carragher? On Sunday morning, I was just at home going through administration. It was so boring. And obviously it was Valentine's Day and I didn't forget to get my wife a Valentine's card, although she forgot to get me one. <laughs> and uh, I just put a tweet out saying, roses are red, violets are, are blue. Um, Champions Liverpool have won two of the last 10 Premier League games and uh, we're not out the FA Cup by Manchester United and just sat there giggling like a small child thinking, you know, some people are just not going to get it. Some people are going to come and say that it's supposed to rhyme. And I'm like, yeah, no shit, you know? And then uh, what I didn't expect was Jamie Carragher to pick up on it and come back with his own one, um, having a go at Manchester United and their inability to mount a, a real title charge. So obviously I got lots of comments in from uh, very enthusiastic Liverpool fans. And I just replied to Jamie, who was uh, an Everton fan as a kid, and a proper Everton fan went to all the matches with his dad. I said, um, Liverpool wear red, Everton wear blue. Why support one team when you can support two? <laughs> and uh, I'd put in brackets, plus Marine, because he supports them. And financially as well, you know. And... Um, there was just a bit of that, but Jamie Jamie messaged me afterwards and said um, the word bereft is actually his wife's idea. And I thought, I'm not going to put that public. But the, the following day, Gary Neville asked him about it and he explained that it was his wife, Nicola, who, who'd said that. For me, it, it's it's all good, good banter. Uh, I like the rivalry between United and Liverpool. I respect Jamie. You know, he's always bought United We Stand, captain of Liverpool, buying United We Stand. And he's always got fan culture. And there will be Manchester United players who don't have a clue what United we stand is. And he grew up and, and won the European Cup with a team from his city. Obviously, that was a horrific night for everybody in Manchester. But I've got to respect that. I think he talks well on football. Uh, I've got to know him pretty well. 
done interviews with him. Oh, he had a go at me about that. You needed to sell a copy or two, so you interviewed Kara. I was just like, look, mate, I've done you with a knockout blow. I know that. You know that. Everyone knows that. I don't even need to respond to this, but a, a bit of fun. And um, obviously you get extremes on both sides of um, the fan base with stuff which is much more stronger, but it's a bit of fun, it's a bit, bit of rivalry. And I sat next to Jamie at the Marine Tottenham game about well, two metres apart, and I spoke to him after the match. And I, I respect his views on football. I respect his passion for football. I could remember at 442 Magazine, he'd ring up and say, when's my subscription due to expire? And I love that. I love a footballer who's got that absolute passion for football, that geekish passion. And, uh, and if he gets cheeky, I've got a few other little rockets which I can fire at him. Free team, Jamie. You know, I'm going to try and work. I'm going to do some digging to see if there's any other teams who he's supported in his in his time on this planet. But no, I, I like him and um, just a bit of fun. Am I allowed to say that I was quite impressed by the fact that he got a sort of genuine kind of digging whilst also making it rhyme? The, the fact that he said, Ollie said United can't even challenge when they're, when they're in the top two, no Champions League and just Thursday nights left, another season of feeling bereft. I mean, cause this is the sort of question we're wondering. I don't know, I'll, I, I'm asking you guys, Carl or Andy, you know, the way that Solskjaer approached the fact that we're downplaying United not in a title race. Obviously, subsequently, that has kind of, you know, it's come to fruition, really. But then he took the alternative view after the West Brom game and said, we're not giving up, you know, this title, you know, not quite as much as, as Keegan. You know, you've got to go to uh, Middlesbrough and get something, but we won't settle for second. Um, and now a lot of the people were sort of suggesting, oh, well, actually, that's because, you know, you're looking over your shoulder at third and fourth and, and, and that's the direction of travel. But what do we think about the way Solskjaer has kind of been publicly talking about you know the title or, or wherever else United might finish I think it's a really interesting point because I'd agreed with him by underplaying the prospects because realistically I or any United fans I didn't uh, I spoke to didn't think the team was going to win the league this year there was 10% of me thinking oh you, you never know you never know but sort of holding that back in reserve when the inevitable slump came and it, and it did come but then on Sunday to say We've not given up. I, obviously, it depends. I don't know how the question was put to him. He can hardly say that they've given up, but it's realism or front, isn't it? You know, I, I, I didn't expect. Did you two expect United to win the league at any point? Yeah, Carl's getting ready. Go on. Carl's smiling and Laurie's shaking his head. So then, my, that, my, to- my that's tongue was mixed in my message is Solskjaer. <laughs> I think I've, I think I've said it before but on this podcast. When the United first went top after Burnley, I was quite shameless, and I told everyone on this podcast to be shameless because I thought we wasn't going to last. I thought United would lose at Anfield to Liverpool, and then that'd be that. And then they didn't lose, and I thought, hang on. And the way Pogba beat the turf afterwards and apologised to everyone, I mean, oh, there's a chance here. And there was a United fans were definitely quieter after they went top after beating Fulham. Because they went, oh, I think the chance is on. And I think what you're doing now is United thought, I think quite a few United fans after Fulham went, oh, United, if they sort themselves out, could stay in this title race for a long time. And they haven't. And I think now the inquest is basically, why haven't Manchester United stayed in the title race for longer than a month? And we're seeing, you know, could Ahmad help them stay in the title race for longer? Could Eric Bailly come in and help them stay in the title race for longer? Could Donny van der Beek help them stay in the title race for longer? Could a different change in shape help them stay in the title race for longer? It's gone from being, is 21 and 21 on? And now become a question of, what do United need to do 
to make 21 and 22 a possibility. What do you think, Laurie? You're right. Asking about Ahmad, we've had loads of questions, haven't we, when we put the posts out. Um, and I've certainly got friends that have been asking me, when's Ahmad playing? I, I went along to the under-23s on Friday night, hoping that I could see him in the flesh for the first time. And he, he gets ill before the game and uh, he's, he's out of the team. And then uh, Mesbury went off as well. And then the short tie went down. Sorry, Chauvetire went down at one point. I thought, blind, I'm not going to get any any three of these lads uh, finish the game. Um, they were sort of looked for, you know, the first team, uh, the players that are around the first team bubble. But um yeah, no, I think uh, I think he I think he will get game time on at some point, but and that is part of I suppose what Solskjaer talks about when he's talking layer by layer. It's, you can't expect a player to come in from the blue. You know, perhaps even you could apply this to Donny Van der Beek, not, not not from the blue, sorry, but from another country, and immediately hit the ground running like Bruno Fernandes did. And it's about adding depth over time to a squad and experiences, shared experiences of of success, but also of failure and how you grow and develop through that and of playing patterns, you know, more, more precisely on the pitch, you know, relationships, little um, glances. Obviously we spoke uh, about the interview with Marcus Rashford that we had and the way that, you know, for example, against Chelsea, he was able to just look at Paul Pogba and know that he's going to make a run and, and get found. And that kind of stuff happens over time. It doesn't happen just by a coach saying, if you make that run, this player will pass the ball to you like that. And I think that's, you know, what United need to get to. Yeah, okay, it's two years, you know, two and a half years since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer took over in the summer. There's certainly been signs of progress. There's certainly a, a good feeling around the place, but I think it needs, you know, this is to stay in good form that they've had in patches. You, you need to see more of that. And I suppose that's what has been disappointing about this recent run. There was probably always going to be a dip. The fact that the, the performances have, have looked sort of a bit ragged and not with the full confidence that you'd, you'd hope for from, from a team that have, have hit some highs. So, I mean, listen, having said that, the first half against Everton, you know, up until the final minute, really, and, and aside from that 10-minute patch where they scored two goals, they played some really lovely football, really exciting football. The West Brom game, I suppose, perhaps back to the familiar failings against a deep defence. So it, it that's the kind of team that we're looking at where you perhaps... You need to so always have moderation in mind, but then ultimately know that you know the aspirations need to be at the top because they are one of the biggest clubs in the world. They've won trophies. They've got loads of of money to spend on transfers and wages. Although they will definitely argue that this summer will still be uh, a, a different transfer window than you'd expect because of COVID regulations. They're not going to be go out and spending absolutely um, loads of of cash, you know, um, willfully and. Um, I know that's perhaps a, bit, perhaps a bit too early to get into. I know we've, we've had some questions asking about transfers, but we've also had some questions saying, please don't talk about transfers. It's February. <laughs> we will get into the mailbag in a bit. Uh, it's February. So apparently now we have to talk about Sergio Ramos, the Manchester United again. Uh, it gets every year. <laughs> I think it's remarkable that Manchester United are second in the Premier League table uh, in the latter stages of the FA Cup where they are in the Europa League, looking really like to play Champions League football when, and I keep saying this, Manchester United don't have a right winger. Manchester United Football Club do not have a senior team right winger. Utterly bizarre. Let's get into our final bit of business. It's the mailbag. Um, thank you so much, listeners, for constantly getting in your questions to Talk of the Devils. Uh, we get some questions in. Uh, someone messaged me with a question at 10.30 uh, on Saturday 
saying before you do the next episode of talk of devils please get this in and we did it was about fred so thank you so much matty for that question earlier our first question in this section is from hoppo who's a season ticket holder for manchester united uh which is about donny van der Beek. Uh, and i think a lot of questions we have is are about donny van der Beek, which is he's still a mystery to me what's the plan is he going to play in the europa league given his experience in european competition uh donny van der Beek does have very good experience in the europa league apart from the Europa League final where Manchester United basically targeted him in the number six position because Jose Mourinho realised he could be knocked off the ball. But that, that was that was several years ago. Uh, Van der Beek's been very good in European competition away from home. Uh, during Ajax's run to the Champions League semi-finals, he put in very good performances against Juventus and against Real Madrid. He can work well in a finely structured system. So would you start him against Real Sociedad, Andy? Yeah, I think he... There's a couple of points there. Um, players who leave Ajax tend to take time to settle at new clubs. Look at the Fred effect, not that he came from Ajax. Midfielders can come good in the second season. Um, I'll go back to what I said when I spoke to Stephen Pienaar, a coach at Ajax. He's going to need time, and that's clear to see. Um, but he, he has been disappointing in a lot of matches. Um, Watford in the FA Cup at home, he was really average against the championship team at, at Old Trafford. United are not going to give up on a player who costs so much money and he will continue to get chances. So, yeah, I would start him uh, against Real Sociedad. Um, he played in that amazing Ajax team at the Bernabeu two, two years ago, the best game I saw in 2019. And, and he can do it, but he's got to start doing it for Manchester United. Too many sixes and not enough eight out of tens from him. There was one moment against West Ham where he did a very un thing, where he passed the ball to Marcus Rashford ahead of him on the left-hand side and then followed the trail of the ball, which it, you, you just shouldn't do if you come from the Ajax Academy system. And it was one of the things I used to get very angry about Tom Cleverley about because Cleverley would always pass forward and then follow where he passed. I'm like, no, move laterally. Um, he did that. And then when the ball got back to him on the left-hand side, he looked at his options and passed backwards. And I saw Mike Phelan shake his head and then make an action similar to trying to strike a match. Saying, you know, Donny needs to pass it quicker, forward quicker. He needs to help this team move at a speed. Um, Ollie often talks about quickness when you say how this United team plays. It's really interesting how Ollie will always say, we want to play quickly and then we want to use crossing goals, and then we want to do passing sequences. He doesn't really talk about how he wants his team to defend. So with that in mind, and with this idea that Real Sociedad are going to play possession-based football, I'm going to ask about another midfielder. It's the Juan Mata from uh, Elves Charlie, who says, what has happened to Mata and why has he dropped out of the squad? We had four defenders on the bench versus West Bromwich Albion, which is far too many. Mata could have helped move the ball quickly and unpick the lock. Juan Mata has disappeared ever so slightly from the Manchester United match day squads. I haven't seen him on the bench in two or three games. Uh, the last time he was playing frequently was uh, towards time when Manchester United were in the bottom half of the table. He, he last made a start against Newcastle when he was operating on the right-hand side. Laurie, do you have any news about Juan Mata and why his possible future could lie? Yeah, it's a bit of a, a strange one, I suppose. Um, he did start the 
uh, FA Cup game against Watford and then he's been on the bench five games after that and then he's not been in the squad at all for the five games um, after that. Solskjaer was asked a question about him at a press conference three weeks ago. His contract is up in the summer, but he's got um, you know this this plus one option that United um, insist on in, in sort of all the contracts. So they could trigger that or they might come to an agreement if he wants to lead the club. I noticed there was a, a report in AS that I guess Andy might have read that um, they were sort of proposing that a move back to Spain might be an option for him. But Solskjaer was, was very warm about him when he was asked. Uh, he just said that no decision had been made on the contract, but he has discussions with Juan Mata all the time and it's difficult to leave him out. But unfortunately, that's where we're at at the moment. He mentioned Paul Pogba and Mason Greenwood as options on sort of that right role. But I agree with the question really and, and looking at the bench, I sort of didn't really appreciate this before the game, but as it wore on, you, you did sort of think he, he could have been an option to come on and, and change the game. You know, you had Brandon Williams, Alex Talese, Eric Bailly, Axel Twanzebi on the bench. So like a lot of defensive reinforcements. And I suppose the one sort of counterpoint to that would be, well, United had enough to beat West Brom as it was with the first 11. They should really have had that and, and defensive options and just to shore it up maybe afterwards. And also then Donny van der Beek is the guy that if, you know, you're sending on one matter ahead of Donny van der Beek, what does that say about the situation? That being said, you know, he obviously did really well when he came on against West Ham, set up one of the goals, um, didn't he, one matter. So he obviously still has that eye, he's still got a really delicate touch about him that you think could could work in those situations. So maybe in hindsight, it, it was a little bit of an error because it was only two substitutions in the end that, that Solskjaer used, you know, Greenwood and Van der Beek coming on. A third substitution maybe would have uh, just pushed them over the edge on on trying to get that sort of winning goal. But um, yeah, I mean, so I don't really know exactly what's going on. I don't don't think there's anything sinister to it. I think it's just a case of selection and, and one matter, uh, you know, situation perhaps not being ultimately at Manchester United. But I don't know what. What do you think, Andy? There's nothing sinister at all. And Juan's totally respected at the club. Um, you're right to mention West Ham. I thought the best impact he made last season was actually in the Europa League in in Cologne when he came on against Copenhagen to completely turn the game. Um, not everything has to be public knowledge. You know, Ollie's got to protect his players. Sometimes humans um, are at the top of the game and ready for for, for playing. And at other times, um, Ollie's just got to make the, 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 the selections which he thinks are right. But there's no no problem at all with Juan. I'm sure he'll play in a Manchester United shirt again, and I'm sure he'll he will he will uh, contribute as he has done um, when he's come on. He's not been a a starter, but his presence is definitely valued in the, the dressing room. He's really, really respected at the club. I wouldn't be surprised in future to see him in some sort of ambassadorial uh, role. But people have good and bad mums, and um, I'm, I'm sure, and I hopefully will come and come and feature and uh, come on in the final in Gdansk and um, head the winner if the final <laughs> is in Gdansk. Last time I checked, they'll probably move it from Gdansk to. Um, to Melbourne, like four days before the match. <laughs> but anyway, United have got to get through a semi-final, first of all. You've got to get to the semi-final. You've got to get past Real Sociedad. I do know for a fact that Juan Mata tends to lead free-kick training, free-kick sessions after training. So uh, Bruno Fernandes said in the very good United podcast uh, that Mata tends to take charge on free-kick training and Bruno joins him. And then Fred is there. Although what made me laugh was Bruno Fernandes said, Fred is there, but it's mostly just for fun. 
uh, as, yeah. a, as a cute little Fred's there, but he's, he's not really going to take free kicks. But they've had a few, haven't they? I mean, Harry Maguire said it after the uh, West Ham game. He sort of said, oh, you know, midfielders are contributing. We're still waiting for Fred. And then obviously Solskjaer said it to, to your question, didn't he, Andy? He sort of said, yeah. I've told him not to shoot on his right. But uh, I mean, he had a couple, didn't he, against Club Bruges last season, which were actually pretty good finishes. But yeah, it, it's not a sense of expectation that you see him approach the ball around the 18-yard line. He'll come good. He's taking extra yeah, sessions with Michael. He's taking extra sessions with Michael Carrick afterwards, and I think that's well. That'll be really interesting. Carrick, who's becoming more and more vocal on the touchline as well. It was that. Yeah, you're right there, Carl. And it was a noticeable that he was the one that went over to Craig Paulson at half time uh, at the game at the Hawthorns. Very calm. You know, he certainly wasn't a, a you know some kind of a change in his personality that we hadn't seen before. He's very very composed, hands behind his back. But he was in sort of a serious conversation with Craig Paulson after you know the, the guy after the referee blew. Um, for halftime quite soon and you know obviously the different uh, disagreements that United had over various free kicks so yeah but you're right I think Carrick you know is, is growing into that role One question here from Alexis Pantelis which goes can we touch upon this we've built a team around Bruno Fernandes which means when he's off a lack of synchronised or prepared passing sequences is evident Will Ollie ever develop into a manager that can create this structure or do we need a more philosophy style manager? Laurie, you've used this term layer by layer, which is something uh, Ollie's been mentioning. Yeah, I've just nicked like, it off Ollie, yeah. <laughs> Ollie's, Ollie's mentioned it two or three times about layer by layer. He said it first after the FA Cup victory over Liverpool, which has really dramatically changed my thinking about Solskjaer and how this United team are doing. Because I think you have a lot of managers that have their philosophies, which... I'm not sure philosophy is a term we should be using in football, um, but you have managers where you know what they're going to bring to a football team. And I, I think for a while we didn't know what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer ball was. And that's why a lot of fans went, he doesn't really have any tactics, but I think slowly something's coming together. So um, what's your view on this? Is layer by layer a thing? And can you spot any of the new layers that United are doing? He actually um, did an interview with VG this week or, or last week, and it was published this week, uh, where he mentioned layer by layer again and sort of expanded a bit, I think, because he was speaking in his uh, his mother tongue. So perhaps he felt a bit more at ease with with the sort of concept, but he sort of talked about it as a house and, and you, know, you paint with primer first and, and then, you know, the layers after that. So, you know, I, I like his, his uh, analogy in that sense. And I suppose I'm always, you know, um, a bit queasy when anyone mentions philosophy, just because it brings me out in cold sweats on the fact of, of what Louis van Gaal used to always sort of talk about and or projects rather, I suppose was, a, was his idiosyncratic way about it or process, sorry, not projects. I feel like it's an easy thing to criticize a manager for, without necessarily knowing what it means you know what what does a philosophy mean clearly Pep Guardiola has a very strict guideline for his style of play they do mix it up you know Edison long ball to Ilkay Gundogan you know so it's not a straightforward you have to play a prescriptive style every single time every single goal clearly Man City have got some goals that they sort of know 
by rote, really. And, and I think United are getting there. I think you've touched upon it, haven't you, in a couple of um, articles. But I sort of see Oli maybe more as we, we, we've had you know, Thomas Tuchel sort of lauded for his approach and, and he changes. He, he changes his teams, the way of, of playing, you know, sort of not necessarily depending on the opposition, but certainly with that in mind and wants his players to be able to adapt to different situations. And I, I suppose that's what Oli's trying to get with, you know, Marcus Rashford going on the right or on the left or, or up top as he did at Liverpool. Paul Pogba's played in different Different positions. Clearly, you can't be shuffling players around all the time and just hoping for the best. There's got to be a, a an idea behind it. But I think flexibility of, of positions and therefore unpredictability for opponents is something that Solskjaer does have as a, a kind of fundamental idea behind his team. What do you think of this, Andy? Is it a case of Oli hasn't got a philosophy, or could it just be as simple as we need to wait and see for him to get a right winger before we see what's happening? Well, he, he wanted Sancho and, and he wanted Haaland and he's not going to get all the players who he wants. And he, he, I think he, there are three or four players who he absolutely wants now who he knows will improve the team. I think his signings, by and large, have, have been good signings. Fernandez clearly the main one. And he wanted him six months before he came. The, the summer will be very interesting because United will be impacted, but maybe other clubs will be even more impacted and, and have to sell. Maybe you get some fire sales. The worst example of that was probably Luis Suarez, Barcelona to Atletico last year. But I can see a general improvement and we're seeing that in the number of points, the number of goals. There are setbacks. United have still conceded too many started this season badly, mitigating circumstances because of COVID. There was no pre-season this year, so his players weren't as fit as they wanted him uh, to be. But he'll be judged probably this season on his league finish. Anything outside the top four will be seen as a failure. If he gets a cup wins, then that will be a bonus. I think most fans think the football is better than it was under Van Hall and it was under uh, uh, Jose Mourinho. I think he's still got the backing of most fans and there'll be quibbles when we get results like we had against West Brom or Sheffield United, which is absolutely natural. And I think he's making improvements, bringing in Alex Tellis to provide Luke Shaw competition was definitely a positive. Um, Getting Pogba on side, getting him back was a positive. Dean Henderson has been a positive. Edinson Cavani, I think was a a good signing, but you're right. uh, The question on the, the right midfield it remains an issue. Do United then get Sancho in the summer? We'll probably have an hour talking about about that. So maybe let's leave that for a few more months. We'll do the Sancho section in a couple of months. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but I, I do think he's doing a good job. But sometimes you've got to do better than good when you're Manchester United. It's got to be great. And people will always make comparisons to, to the best. And you know, I'm going to Barcelona PSG thinking, why aren't Manchester United in this competition? They should be. United shouldn't be getting knocked out of the group stage in the Champions League. And I've just reminded myself of how bad that game was against oh, RB again. And I promise not to do that. Because <laughs> you do that, and then I'll start thinking about the corner in this. That no, no. Next question. <laughs> Next question. This is what the final question today is from Akshay uh, Balboa on Twitter. It's basically asked the centre back situation at Manchester United is precarious with rumours of Sergio Ramos being available. Do you think Manchester United will go for him? If not, then. And who is the alternative? So we're not going to do the Sancho section, but it looks like you might have to do start doing the Sergio Ramos section, one that has been running along since about 2009. I do remember being in sixth form 
and uh, being on a United forum, as someone said, Sergio Ramos was going to be part of the package deal that sent Cristiano Ronaldo to Real Madrid. Um, Ramos has been going to Manchester United for as long as Wesley Schneider has been going to Manchester United. Laurie, what's going on with the centre-backs at United? Well, just on, on Ramos, I mean, I've, I've asked, you know, repeatedly and I've always been told no, no, no. So I would like to park that one there and listen, if I end up with egg on my face, then that, so be it. But I would be amazed if that happened. Um, centre-back is certainly something that United um, are looking at. They looked last season uh, in the summer and then decided against it. There's a few names that have been mentioned in regard to that. And I think they will sort of have a look again um, because clearly there's something that it's an area that needs improving. You know, we spoke about Lindelof, we spoke about Bailly, um, Axel Twanzabius had a difficult time. So you can see that there's that's an area that you could get a player in and improve. You look at Man City, the way they've improved with Ruben Diaz coming into the team. And I think that probably... Um, you know, hurts a little bit United that they they managed to get him and and he's transformed that back line so well. There's other players in the mix. The day up on Meccano one, obviously he's going to Bayern Munich in that very early on um, in December, actually. Uh, United stepped away from that um, after sort of scouting reports basically said, you know, for, for the price that he'll be, we don't think, necessarily think he's an upgrade on what we've already got. Now, again, time will tell on that one, but it was a United decision to step away and it wasn't one of these situations that, you know, supporters will accuse the board of. And listen, I've criticised the board, but it, it wasn't one of those situations where it's after the event. No, actually, we weren't, we weren't fussed anyway. This was a proactive thing. There's the names that have been mentioned that I think would come under consideration again. So you look at Konate, you know, Upper Meccano's um, RB teammate. Now, whether they would let him go in the same summer, I know obviously Upper Meccano had a release clause, but whether they would then allow Konate to go as well, I don't know. But he's he, he's impressed me. He's, again, very young, but he looks like he's got a good presence about him and and a good uh, intelligence too. And then Jules Kunde, obviously, Sevilla is, is the other one. And I think he might be the, the leading candidate um, if I was to put any money on it right now but again there's there's a lot of time ahead of us and I'm reluctant in February to pin my colours to any particular mast Ramos told Manchester United that he wanted to join him a few years ago or rather his, his brother did and United what did you do for United of course you're interested in serial winner um, Sergio Ramos so United were amenable to that uh, the paperwork was prepared all Ramos had to do was tell Real Madrid's president that he was leaving to join Manchester United and he walked into the meeting with him. It was pre-season, it was in China, and he came out having agreed to a new contract at Real Madrid. So United have been played a few times and have got to be careful of that. Um, with central defenders, absolutely what Laurie says, it's an area United have looked at, step back from up at Meccano, um, at start this season as far as I, I was concerned. There are better central defenders out there. The two at Sevilla are fantastic. The two at Atletico Madrid are incredible, but probably too expensive. The two at Athletic Club Bilbao are really good, probably um, better than Laporte. And I'm not watching them every week, but I'm watching enough of Athletic Club to know that some very, very good central defenders there. So there are choices. But yeah, Sevilla is... uh, I'm going to watch um, that gentleman very closely against Dortmund (laughs) tomorrow night. All you have to say is basically some more articles that you can check out on The Athletic right now. There's a fantastic interview with Sam Johnson from Andy Mitten. Uh, he's not going to egg Sam's house. It was a joke. <laughs> Laurie's done a great piece recapping the West Bromwich album game, looking at Harry Maguire and how his ball progression works. It's really interesting because even though Harry Maguire is right-footed and playing at left centre-back, basically 
because he's on his wrong foot, it allows him to take the ball as far forward as he normally does. I've just recently done a piece looking at Manchester United's defending record on set pieces and why they seem to be getting punished constantly. And then we'll have a piece after the Europa League game on Thursday. Don't forget, listener, you can also join us next Tuesday on February 23rd, where we're going to be hosting a Manchester United quiz via Zoom to raise money for Prostate Cancer UK. Laurie will be hosting there. I, unfortunately, will be uh, incognito. And Andy's going to be there. Amazing. <laughs> you get those two lovely people. Why, why wouldn't you want to be there? Join us. But other than that, I think that's the end of this episode of Talk of the Devils. Uh, so it's uh, thank you very much, Laurie. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening. And a thank you very much to Andy. Thanks, everyone. And thank you very much from me. Uh, thanks for listening to Talk of the Devils, a Manchester United podcast brought to you from The Athletic. We will see you sometime next week. The Athletic.